Thank you for listening to 501c3BS. I want to let you know that we have truly become an international podcast with listeners in the UK, the United Arab Emirates, Belgium, and 18% of our listeners are from China. So thank you all for listening around the world. We have been listed as a top new podcast for the social sector by Player FM. With thousands of downloads and many followers, we are quickly coming up the ranks. We can continue to grow with your help. If you are not yet a subscriber, please consider following us on your device. Write a review and share us with your colleagues and friends on social media. Next week will be our final episode of this season, but we will be back in your feed this fall with a new season, including live shows recorded at the Gianneschi Summer School for Nonprofits at Cal State University Fullerton. The summer school will be held on August 13th through 17th, 2018 at California State University Fullerton's Mahalo School of Business. Attendees' parking and meals are included in the price of registration. We will have amazing speakers, include many that you've heard here on the program, including author and CEO of the California Association of Nonprofits, Jan Masaoka, the author of the Nonprofit Kit for Dummies, Francis Phillips, and next week's guests, Todd Hansen of the Orange County Community Foundation and many other some amazing speakers coming. Look for all the information and tickets starting in late May at the center's website. That's G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I, Gianneschi Center for Nonprofits at California State University's Mahalo School of Business. Now, back to the show. As a consultant, I often get asked to help boards with their board development. Many small organizations are failing because their boards just don't know what it is they're supposed to be doing. So I come in and let them know exactly what it is they're supposed to be doing and how they can develop their board to be not just more efficient, not just run better, but be dynamic. A dynamic board is a board that is well-developed, that is diverse, that is active, and that knows what the responsibilities are. So today on 501c3BS, I'm going to give you a lesson in board development. Welcome to 501c3BS, deprogramming for organizational growth. I'm your host, Zoot Velasco. We just need one big fundraiser. Our clients are our donors. Bigger is better. Who cares what the mission statement is? I work in nonprofits. Bullshit! When thinking about board development, one of the best ways to think about boards is the way that we think about organizations in general. Nonprofit organizations come from two models. One is a faith-based model because originally most organizations that helped people in need were charities that came from churches, synagogues, and mosques. So when we think of a model for board development, we can look at a religious model. Look at Christ and the Apostles. If you think about the 12 apostles as board members, that's a really great model. These were people that went out across the land evangelizing the mission of the organization. They were so good at it, they were able to pull new people into the mission and get other people involved. And that created generational access to the mission that made a religion that became a mainstay of culture across the world for generations. What would have happened if Christ said to Peter, Will you build my church and lead it and become the president of my board? And Peter said, well, you know, not really the presidential type. Do I have to do all that work? Can't you let John do it? I mean, you like John better anyway. I don't want to be the leader, but he didn't. 
and he became the first president of the board, the Pope. So that is a great way for organizations to think about a board. Evangelists going out and creating a mission for the organization. Another great way to think about boards is through our government. We have a democracy that's represented by three branches of government. There's Congress, the executive branch led by the president, and the courts, which are there for appeals. A lot of people think democracy was based on the Greek system, and it was. They had a Senate, and they had an emperor, or a ruler, or a dictator, and the Senate was there to kind of keep the dictator in check from going too far one way or the other. But actually, our government is more based on a Native American system that was brought in by the Quakers, Benjamin Franklin. The Quakers of Pennsylvania were the only religious group to come from England to really make friends with the natives. Their belief was not so much about conversion as it was about treating people equally and being fair to everyone in the same way that Jesus was to people who were not Jewish. So they made friends with the natives and they took a lot of the native ideas. Native Americans would have a council and a chief and the council and the chief had equal powers. And the council and the chief system is what became the system of Congress being equally balanced with the president. If you take this to a nonprofit model, you have a CEO or executive director who's similar to the president of the United States in charge of the executive branch, all of the staff, and their job is to get out the mission. On the other hand, you have Congress, which are similar to a board of directors. And if we look at the board of directors and the CEO as equal partners working hard for the mission, that is a great model to look forward to for organizations. We should stop thinking of boards as boards of directors, that their job is the corporate model of being over top of the CEO, being able to boss them around. That's not the job of a board. Boards in the social sector are actually more boards of trustees than boards of directors. A board of trustee is entrusted with a mission. Their job is to protect the mission and to get people more involved with the mission. Up until the 1980s, almost all charitable organizations had a board of trustees. It was only when we went to a more corporate model we started to use boards of directors. I say we should get back to the boards of trustees, where our boards are entrusted with a mission, where they're equal partners with the CEO. And as Jan Masaoka said in an earlier podcast, no one board member has any more power than any other volunteer at the organization. It's only as a collective that they have power equal to the CEO. So let's talk about some of the myths that you hear from people who you're recruiting to a board. You might go up and say, would you consider serving on the board? And the person you're talking to may say, I'm not important enough to serve on a board. That myth is propagated by us. And and that's because people have this wrong idea. They believe the BS that a board's job is to bring in money. Who do you want on your board? Let's get the richest people in town. Let's get the people with the money who can write fat checks. That's what people will say. But that's not the purpose of a board. I mean, it's great if you can get some people to write some checks on your board, but that's not what you need. To think about what you really need as a board, it's great to go back to the faith-based model and think about how they grow their capacity. They do it with the three T's, time, talent, and treasure. In our organizations, we often just look at the treasure and see who can we get to bring us treasure. But if we think about it in terms of time, talent, and treasure, we can be much more productive. Now, when I'm talking about treasure, I'm not just talking about wealthy people who can write fat checks. There are other people who make great treasure on your board. There are people who not just have money, but have access to money. For example, you may have an employee from a big company like Target or Boeing or Walmart. 
and each of these big companies will have employee development programs where employees can check a box for a charity and give money to that charity and that money will be matched by their corporate sponsor. If you have people like this on your board, they can gather other employees, tell them about the history and mission of your organization and get them to check the box for you so that you can get thousands of dollars from a corporation just because of one person evangelizing throughout that corporation for your mission and getting others involved with your organization. That would be a great person to have on your board who's not a wealthy person, probably just middle class, but someone who can do an enormous amount of good fundraising just by working throughout their corporation. So what about talent? When we talk about talent, we're talking about all those special skills that you have to go out and pay for, but you might be able to get for free if you have someone on your board willing to do it. For example, lawyers who could look over contracts, accountants who can look over your books, maybe act as treasurer for you, or even act as an unpaid bookkeeper if your organization is very small. Those are the ones that people think of all the time. But how about things like a web designer, a printer, a marketing guru, a social media guru, or one of my favorites, a social butterfly. You know, the kind of person that likes to have parties at their house, invite important people, and tell them about a cause. Those are great people to have on your board, and those are certainly special skills. All of those kinds of things are useful. And if you think about those things, things like social media, web design, gives you an opportunity to diversify your board and bring in younger members that you may not have considered otherwise. In the board of the last organization that I was CEO of, almost a third of our board was under 40. And they were people who had these special skills. Accountants, marketing people, lawyers, all under 30 helping us out. And that brings us to time. This is the element that most people never recruit for their board. How many times have you had at your organization a volunteer who gives much of their time because they're completely devoted to the mission? They act as an unpaid staff. Maybe they used to be a client. Maybe their child was a client of your organization. But for whatever reason, they really care about you. Have you ever considered asking them to be part of the board? You might say, well, they don't have any money. Why would I ask them to be on the board? That's not the only reason to ask people to be on the board. One of the things you need are people who have enough time that they can act as unpaid staff for the board. Because if the board does not have their own volunteers to act as staff for them, guess who acts as staff for the board? It's your staff, the ones that you pay, the ones that have a million other things to do, but now they have to run around and do things for your board because your board needs help and they need help on the inside. Whereas if you had these people who had the time and cared about the mission, maybe we're not wealthy people, maybe we're retired, maybe even people who were unemployed, but they had a lot of energy and a lot to give and they could act as unpaid staff for the board. That saves your staff so much time and energy from doing that for the board themselves. So think about that. And not only do they help your board in terms of being unpaid staff and giving their time, but they give you a diversity of opinion. Somebody who is a former client, they may diversify you in other ways as well. Maybe they're someone of a different ethnicity. Maybe they're someone of a different age. Maybe someone of a different socioeconomic group. But the one thing they know for sure is the programs because they care a lot about it. And maybe they used to use those programs themselves. And wouldn't that be great to have someone like that in the room when you're making decisions about your mission, about your programs, about your staff? Someone who actually knows the programs from the inside out, that's a great opinion to add to the mix. 
A lot of people talk about board diversity, and usually when they say that, they're talking about ethnicity. And ethnicity is very important, but it's more important to get a diversity of opinions. And you do that by diversifying not just in ethnicity, but diversifying in culture, diversifying in socioeconomic group, diversifying in age, diversifying in skills. If you can diversify in all of these things, you will have a much more dynamic board. And when you go out and recruit new board members, and you're thinking not just who can I get that's rich, but who can I get that has the time to help us, or the access to money, or special talents that we really need. And when you go out and you meet these people, people who are a diversity of all those things we talked about, the first and most important thing to recruit them to the board is to make sure that they care about the mission. And that makes it much easier to recruit great board members. You might be talking to somebody who's an attorney or an accountant or any number of things. And they might say, yeah, my mother died from Alzheimer's. So I want to get involved in a local charity that works with Alzheimer's patients. And lo and behold, you are the charity that works with Alzheimer's patients. Or you might work with youth and you might run into someone that says, my son was killed in gang violence. So I want to work with after-school programs to stem the tide of gangs in our community. Or you might work at an arts organization and somebody might say to you, why I took that ceramics class and it changed my life. And you might ask them, so how would you like to come and serve our local cultural center? All of these things are great ways to pull people into the mission. And that is your duty as an apostle, as an evangelist for the organization. Where are all the good board members at, you might say? Well, have you considered the volunteers that are already working for you and care about your mission right now? What about student interns? Wouldn't that be great to get somebody who is a student involved as a board member? Would certainly give you a diversity of opinion and certainly be someone who might have the time to act as unpaid staff for the board. What about seniors who come in because they want to do something after their career is done? They don't want to just sit at home and play golf or travel all the time. They want to do something that makes a difference in the community and leave a little legacy for themselves. Those are great people to recruit to be on your board. Our job as a board is to be kind of like a tornado. We're at the center of the tornado is the mission of our organization. And we're just running around it. We're all trying to keep busy and move around it and make that tornado move and suck people into that mission. Our job is to really get out there in the community, be ambassadors for the organization, be evangelists, be apostles, and suck people into our mission. Get them to drink the Kool-Aid. And when we can do that, we've accomplished our mission. Now, a lot of people have the wrong idea about their fiduciary duty as a board member, which means watching after the money. People who are from the business world will get on boards and they'll complain because there's no profit. Where's the profit? They do realize that people call us nonprofit organizations, but still they want to know why these programs aren't making money. Well, it's important to remember that we do make a profit in our organization, which is why we don't like the word nonprofits. We do make a profit. Our profit is community benefit. So when you're looking at the bottom line, the bottom line is not going to be on the balance sheet. The bottom line is going to be how many people have used our services? How many programs did we do? Do we reach our goals for the mission? If you can ask yourself these three questions and get satisfactory answers, then your organization is doing good work. And as far as the balance sheet goes, hopefully you can balance it. If you're not losing money or not losing too much money that you can't make it up, then you're doing a good job as long as you're doing those other three things. Having a lot of people using your services, 
having a lot of programs that meet your mission based on the amount of money you're spending for them, and then reaching your goals for your mission. Once I sat on a grant panel, and we looked at the balance sheets of the organizations who were writing grants, and one organization was spending about $36 per person per night for a homeless shelter. When I looked and saw what they were providing for that $36 per person per night, it was literally a yoga mat and some chips and dry cereal and other donated goods that did not look too appetizing. Well, I looked at that, and at that time, back in the 80s, you could get a Motel 6 for $36 a night that would come with a free breakfast. So why are they spending so much money for a yoga mat and a couple donated items for food? I asked this question, and we made it part of their funding that they had to be more efficient with their spending. And that's what boards should do. Given the amount of money that we're spending, are we providing enough services? And if you are, then you're doing a great job. So that's your fiduciary duty as a board member. Another thing that's important for board members to keep cognizant of is their bylaws. All boards have bylaws if they're a 501c3 organization required by IRS. But not all of them follow the bylaws or even look at them or even know what they say. It's important to have a committee that reviews your bylaws every year and looks for changes that should be made to make the organization more efficient. One important part of bylaws is term limits. Some organizations don't have any term limits, and those organizations are usually very stagnant because without term limits, the organization doesn't change. The organization doesn't change because the people do not change. Term limits are an important part of keeping a vibrant organization. Generally accepted practices would be term limits that would be a two to three year term that might repeat two to three times. At the end of that two to three times, that person would be required to take some time away from the board, and then they could always rejoin the board again at a future date. Usually, it's a year that they would be required to take off. Most board members, after four to eight years on a board, they're ready to do something else. And even if they're not, they could be much more effective at that point as an advisor because they are so experienced with the organization and let some new blood come in to help evolve the organization and grow it. Another myth that we often hear among boards is this idea that their job is fundraising. Our main job is fundraising, they'll say. And that's just not true. Not that fundraising is an important part of being a board member, but even that has its misconceptions. These are some of the duties of a really good board. Oversight of the executive director or the CEO, succession planning and recruitment, a lot of people don't realize that one of board's main jobs is to plan for the future and to be ready for a secession. What happens if your wonderful CEO or another senior staff gets a new job and has to leave suddenly? What if someone gets pregnant and has to take some time off or someone's going to take a sabbatical? Are you prepared for those scenarios? Fundraising, endowment, and development, those are part of the board. But a lot of people think that a board member's job is to go out and ask their friends for money. Shake them down. Hey, where's the money for my organization? A lot of people think that their job is to go out to the golf course with their foursome and bet everyone that if they win, everyone has to give to their organization. Or you have to come to my gala and then I'll go to your gala. That's not the job of a board. A board's job is to be that evangelist in the community. And if you're pulling people into the mission of the organization, hopefully you're inviting them for a site tour. You're inviting them for lunch with the CEO. You're introducing the people you know who have money or access to money or are potential board members. You're introducing them to the board president and the CEO, and you're getting them involved with the organization on a basic level. And then it's the CEO's job to do the ask. It's the CEO's job to go the next step and bring them all the way in. Let the CEO do the heavy lifting. 
That's what they're there for. They're the paid staff. Your job is only to get people involved with the mission. And if you've done that, then you've done your job. Let me ask you a question. How many people on your board have dedicated themselves to leave a portion of their estate to the organization that they care so much about that they're on the board of it? If I ask this of most boards, they'll say zero. Every board member should make a commitment to leave an endowment gift to their organization, even if it's something small, even if it's just a small percentage of their estate, even if it's just some stock or property that they own or something else of value. Every board member should commit to leave something in their state for an organization. And if they do that, then it's very easy for them to talk about that commitment with other people at the organization and try to build their endowment gifts from others. But you can't do it if you haven't made yourself a model first. Another duty of a board is strategic planning. You, as an equal partner with the CEO, are responsible every year for making sure that you have strategic planning in place for the next year. Most boards will do this with a three-year plan. And at the end of those three years, you'll come up with another three-year plan. But you don't just do this once every three years. Once you create a plan, you don't throw it in a drawer and forget about it. Planning is only good if you're constantly looking at that plan, making deadlines from it, checking the budget, seeing whether you're on track, revising the plan. And really, there should be a report on that plan every quarter. The best way to manage staff is through budget and deadlines from a strategic plan. Organizations that have no vision, that have no planning, they're not going anywhere. I've seen organization after organization say, I don't understand why we're so stagnant. We've been in the same boat for the last 20 years. Um, when was the last time you created a strategic plan? Oh, I think we did that for our grants once and they threw it in a drawer and it was no good so we never used it again. Well, that's why it didn't do you any good. You threw it in a drawer and you never actually used it. A plan is just a piece of paper that you're supposed to look at and build upon. If you're doing the planning and you have some vision of where the organization is going, guess what? It may go there. But if you have no plan and you don't know where you're going, guess what? You may not go anywhere. Another duty of the board is oversight of accounting practices. One major problem for all companies is the possibility that someone may embezzle funds. That's why it's important that the person who is collecting the money is not the same person who is doing the books. That's true of any organization, and it certainly should be true in our organizations, but it often isn't. Make sure that whoever collects the money and whoever does the books are two different people. Then it's important to have someone who knows accounting check the books, and that usually is a board member. The CEO will do a financial report to the board, or at least the executive board, monthly or at least quarterly. And the board's job is to make sure that those numbers add up and that things are correct. Now, obviously, there are certain people on the board who are more adept at this than others, and you may lean to their expertise. But that doesn't excuse you from not at least looking at it and making sure that it makes sense to you. And if you don't understand it, ask those people on the board who have the expertise to explain it to you or ask the CEO to explain it to you. It is part of your duties after all. And last but not least, another duty of a board is infrastructure. It's the board's job to make sure that the facilities that you're using are up to par for the mission. If they're not, it's your job to help make them up to par. That might be creating a maintenance plan. It might be creating a committee that looks at facilities. It might be a capital campaign to build a new facility. It might be finding somebody in government or a wealthy friend who's willing to donate a building. 
there's lots of ways of handling infrastructure, but infrastructure is an important duty of the board. One way that you can ensure that your organization will grow and that everyone on the board has skin in the game is to make for board dues. Right away, you're saying to yourself, but wait a second, I thought you said it could be people who don't have money on the board, people who have time and talent. That's true. When I say board dues, I'm not talking about that everybody has to give a large sum of money. But let's say that you have, as your board dues, $2,500 a year. And that could be give, that could be get, or that could be in special skills. So I, as a board member, would have an option to write you an annual check for $2,500 and I'm done. Or I could go out and I could sell tickets. I could bring people to programs. I could sell $2,500 worth of earned income to other people. And then I would be done. Maybe you have a annual event and it's $100 a ticket. And I go out and I sell 25 tickets. Well, I met my $2,500 and I didn't have to spend a dime. Or maybe I'm not a very wealthy person, but I act as staff for the board. And my staff is judged at twice the minimum wage, which is what a senior staff member would make. And at twice the minimum wage per hour, I'm giving my time. And I give $2,500 worth of those hours. Let's say 100 hours at $25 an hour. That should count as my board dues. But if everyone knows that they have to have skin in the game, then it makes them more committed to being on the board. And for the people who are not going to be good board members, it really gives them a good reason to get out. And as I said, it would be great if everyone on the board left something in their estate for the organization, and that will help you start your endowment. And if you can get everyone just to do these two things, give, get, or create $2,500 worth of board dues and put something in their estate, you will be doing more than 90% of the boards out there. And you'll be getting people involved without them feeling like you're just after them for their money. Another thing you hear from prospective board members is, well, boards are really time consuming. I don't have time for all that. To them, I would say, well, you know what? We only meet once a month, or maybe you only meet once a quarter. And our board meetings are really focused because we follow Robert's Rules of Order and we vary our board meetings with different topics every meeting. So you're not just discussing the same thing every month. Another commitment would be for you to be on a committee, but committees only meet once a month as well. And you can do that over the phone by email, or make it part of your job. And the last commitment is really just to check out the programs and to be involved in the mission. And that really is the fun part, to see people using the programs and being involved, and you get to see the fruits of your labor. That's what being on a board is all about. That's the part that you live for. So if you can do those three things, that's all you need to do, and there's not a lot of time involved. I hope that thinking about all of these things has demystified boards for you a bit and made it a little bit more easier for you to think, hey, maybe I could sit on a board. Or if you're an organization staff person, to think, hey, maybe I could recruit some great board members. Again, I'll remind you that in our sector, 80% of all funding goes to 20% of the organizations. That means that 80% of our sector is failing at their job. And if you were to look at the biggest cause of that failure, it's a failure of leadership. Sometimes it might be because of a bad CEO, but more often than not, it's because of an inactive board. If you can develop your board, you can develop your organization. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to 501c3BS, Deprogramming for Organizational Growth. I'm your host, Zufalasco. 501c3BS is sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Join us at the Summer School for Nonprofits for one amazing week every August. Gianneschi is spelled G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. That's G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First Hundred Days, on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian choral group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS.